And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Big Football Show. This podcast is brought to you by The Athletic. This is Scott Docterman and I write about Iowa. Today is Wednesday, September 15th. Today, I'm joined by Audrey Snyder, our esteemed Penn State beat writer. Audrey covers the conference's signature non-conference game this week, featuring the Nittany Lions against the Auburn Tigers. Audrey, it's wonderful to have you on here. How are you today? It's great to be back, Scott. Um, Happy whiteout week from Happy Valley. Campus is filling up. We're recording this uh, Wednesday morning. There's already students in tents in Nittanyville, and they've been camping since Monday night. Which, I mean, the weather's been great. It feels like summer here, but like still, that's a that's next level dedication. That sure is. I mean, because you're talking about six or seven days. So do they just kind of shuffle in and out so they could go to class, take a shower, eat, that sort of thing? Or what happens? Yeah. So my understanding is that someone has to be manning the tent at all times. So like they kind of do it in shifts, like maybe you have five or six people per tent and somebody goes to class. But it, the kind of one of the neat things about it is like, you know, you can drive by like Penn State will practice Wednesday night, I'll drive past it. And there'll be kids out there on their laptops, you know, doing homework, hanging out, whatever. But then kind of every night they have like a big activity. So it's basically just like a week long pep rally building up to the whiteout. College game days here, they're setting up over on Penn State's old main lawn. So that, of course, as you know, brings with it all kinds of pageantry. So, yes, Scott, it's a uh, it's a busy week around here. And let me just say from from my Twitter mentions, which is I mean, that's always how you can you can kind of gauge the fan bases. Right. Penn State fans, Auburn fans, they've been at each other's throats. Um, And it's all about, you know, the atmosphere and who does it better and SEC Big Ten. And my gosh, Scott, we just got to get to Saturday night. Yeah, I know exactly how you feel Mm -hmm. (laughs) after last week at the Cyhawk. It was, for the most part, during the week, tamer than normal, but it was. But Saturday was on steroids, plus the, uh, the heat index was 99 degrees in Ames and without an air-conditioned press box. Oh, it my was, gosh. It was, uh, it was a rough part of that day, but, but we got through it, and uh, you will, too. And, um, you know, when I was thinking about this matchup in particular, Penn State-Auburn, and how much I love it, I was thinking about – Um, the alliance that we're going to see in a few Mm -hmm. years, the scheduling alliance, uh, Pac-12, Big Ten, ACC. And and there's there's some quality matchups there, but nothing gets the energy and the juices flowing like Big Ten SEC. I mean, they're the flagship conferences. You could say that there's really nothing – 
you know, th- these two leagues measure themselves against one another in every single facet, not just competition, but in competition for viewers, facilities. And money, <laughs> f- facilities, recruits. everything. I mean, and they've been, you know, the regions have been at each other's throats literally um, 160 yeah. years ago. And, but we won't bring up Gettysburg today. <laughs> but <laughs> but it, it's, it's just fun how these two conferences interact on the field and not just in bowl games. And I wonder, hmm, you know, the alliance sounds great, but when you have Auburn traveling north to a Big Ten school for the first time since 1931, 90 years to play Penn State at a whiteout, that's perfect. That's college football. And so I love this matchup. And so you said they've been at each other's throats. I'm really kind of oh, yeah. surprised by that. But um, stunning, right? Yeah. So you uh you you've had it been on a podcast with our old colleague, Justin Ferguson, and mm-hmm. how, what's kind of their reaction right now? In, in the South? So it's, it's really interesting. Cause like, you know, I live in state college. So like you kind of take for granted, maybe some of the quirks and oddities, like I mentioned, Nittanyville, where like, mm-hmm. it's normal for me to drive past there. and like, Oh, kids are camping out. Like that's the norm, you know, but if you're coming in um, from Auburn, they'd be like, what in the world? One of the interesting things that Justin was telling me, and I didn't realize this, Scott, but they said to me, they said, well, how does Penn State get the fans to like color coordinate so well? Like, how do they pull this off? And I was like, well, what do you mean? Like, this is like, they just make it work. And they're like, yeah, like Auburn can't do that. Like they've tried it before. And like, they can't get the whole stadium one color. Um, and then I kind of pointed them to a story I wrote a few years ago about the evolution of the whiteout and um, how it started from Penn State as a defense tactic because Beaver Stadium. And I think it's kind of it's harder for people to understand who are younger, like I'm 32, like my age and kind of younger, that what you see Saturday night is not what this place used to be in terms of game day atmospheres. And it wasn't a place that wowed recruits. And now you're going to have Saturday night. Um, around 300 people when you factor in recruits and their their families, their guests, that type of thing. So they will be at capacity recruiting-wise. Um, stadium, one of the toughest tickets to get right now. I want to say the the like get-in-the-door price is like over 330 bucks. Airbnbs mm. are through the roof. I mean, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, that was kind of, that, that was what surprised me. They're like, well, how do they get everybody to, to wear white? And I'm like, well, they literally started off with bullhorns and in the dining halls because you had to get the students on board first. And, you know, once they've been able to build it year after year, now it's like no question about it. Like, you know, people are going to show out in white Saturday night and then you're going to be able to look to that far corner in the stadium and you're going to see that splotch of orange because you always, of course, that's the, the visiting section, but mm-hmm. Yes, Scott. So it is interesting to hear it from their perspective, too. That is interesting. Um, Iowa has a lot of different color schemes through the year. Um, They'll have a gold rush game. They'll have a blackout. um, And then they'll also have stripes, which actually is what's Mm going to happen when Penn State comes to Kinnick Stadium in a couple of weeks. Um, and and that one, the, I remember the first time they did it, it was about 10 years ago. It was kind of in the same vein as, as the whiteout in some ways. It's like, hey, it's a night game. Let's do something cool here. There hasn't been a history of night games at Kinnick because they didn't have permanent lights at the time. Right. So I think it was, I, I can't remember. It might have actually been Penn State. Uh, I was going to say, I've, I've seen a stripe out yeah. there before. Um, maybe it must have been maybe after that. Maybe it was like the Jawan Johnson game or something like yeah. that. But I do. I mean, it was really cool because Penn State, they now do that, which I feel like is 
everybody trying to rip off the checkerboard at Tennessee, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And well, this one I know was just kind of unique, but then I saw Wisconsin did it and they look like candy stripers uh, you know, for the game <laughs> you were at. <laughs> but, yeah. That, yeah. That was kind of weird. I mean, it's, <laughs> but I think like it's, it's nice when you see, and then this is like one of so many things that was missed last year. Like this, yeah. this community is amped up. Um, you know, I mean, even last week's got like Penn state, they're in the midst of four consecutive home games. Mm-hmm. So you had RVs rolling into town last Thursday. It's going to be the same thing this week. And, you know, I mean, getting a whiteout out there early in the season is what so many people wanted, but it's also because you want to show the sec and James Franklin even mentioned this Tuesday in his press conference, like, they want to show the SEC that this is how Penn State does night games. This is how they do football, um, which I think, again, I mean, a lot of the SEC is probably going to they don't realize because how often do you really go out of your way mm-hmm. um, you know, to watch other other conferences like that? So I think a lot of eyes are probably going to be opened uh, from the SEC in terms of this. I mean, I remember when there was a home and home with Auburn and or I'm sorry, in Alabama in 2011. Yeah. And it was really cool going down there. Their fans were great. Uh, the hospitality was really nice. And that's kind of what, I mean, early on this week, it certainly doesn't seem like it on Twitter, but that's what Penn State's hoping for, that it's like this nice, like, hey, here, come to our tailgate type deal. Um, because, of course, Penn State's then going there next September. Sure. Yeah, you don't want it to to get nasty <laughs> or anything like that. And and I know in the past, just talking to Iowa fans who've traveled to, to Happy Valley, even in the midst of you know the last decade where Iowa did have some a lot of success against Penn State in heartbreaking mm-hmm. fashion for the Nittany Lions, yeah. that they were really they were always treated well. I think I think yeah. there was a lot of whether it's camaraderie or interest or whatever. And and this is what I think why I love these this matchup so much is. That when you see, you know, Auburn's coming up to visit a Big Ten campus, like I said, for the first time in 90 years. And I know in the in the Big Ten, I know for me personally, I'd love to go see Tiger Stadium at LSU at night. Oh, yeah. Or the 12th yep. man at, at, at AM or the Grove. Just like they'd love to come up and probably see the wave at Kinnick after the first quarter or jump around at, at Camp Randall or or you know, all 75 renditions of Seven Nation Army during your whiteout. <laughs> you <know? laughs> oh, yeah, you'll hear no. all of them Saturday night. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So uh, but, you know, the the Death Star, which I always call Ohio, Ohio Stadium. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, there are great venues in both in both leagues and, and passionate, passionate fans and get into different things, do different things. As you said, you know, the whiteout or, um, you know, whatever. And I, that's why I, I mean, the, the alliance sounds great and all. But watching Iowa play Oregon State is not would not trip my trigger as much as even in Arkansas or Mizzou or, or whoever, just because I think that these two conferences take football more seriously than everybody else. And I think that passion, and that's why your return trip next year is going to be awesome too. It's, it's going to be great. Although I will say, Scott, I don't know. What about Penn state USC maybe down the road? Okay. That could yeah. be, that could be interesting. I, I'll, I'll say this, that hopefully if teams play Arizona instead of September, maybe Try to make that November. <laughs> that yeah, that would be nice. It'd kind of be like the tune-up to to a ball trip in a sense, you know. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that was like that was the really cool thing about going to Tuscaloosa, and that was actually the first the first road football game I ever covered for Penn State. I was at the student paper at the time at the Delhi Collegian, and man, that place was. And College Game Day was there. 
Mm-hmm. It was rocking. And you're just like, all right, this is really neat. And then, you know, they came up here the next year. Everybody had a good time. Um, there was, you know, that camaraderie, the hospitality. So it, it's really cool because, I mean, you get tired. I mean, I know we do. You get tired of seeing the same venues over and mm-hmm. over. But the fan bases feel the same way. And I think mm-hmm. that's kind of something that um, James Franklin had mentioned yesterday in his press conference about the potential of some neutral site games maybe down the road. Uh, which is interesting. I mean, now we've seen Penn State do it in the past. Um, they were at FedEx Field where the Washington mm-hmm. football team played. Um, pretty lousy environment there. Mm-hmm. I mean, nothing spectacular. But, you know, it's it's you want to try to have your fan base experience different things. And Penn State fans were really bummed about, you know, the Virginia Tech game not happening last year in Blacksburg because that was going to be pretty cool. But, yeah, so, I mean, enjoy Saturday night. And then – everything's going to get scaled back because Villanova comes to town next week. <laughs> Scott, what a, what a buzzkill that is, but this is, this has been a blast. The early part of this season. I mean, you get the trip to camp Randall, then ball state comes to town for three 30. And then you get a night game with the whiteout with Auburn and then you back into it with Villanova. So, but it's been great. That's the, the fatigue factor. I think that fans do get in probably the league we cover Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen it before too, where you get three or four home games in a row and you, you okay, you get the big one, you get the one that everybody cares about and you get the first game sometimes like, yep. like not this year, but most years, Iowa opens up with like a Mac team. So everybody's excited about that. Then it's Iowa state. And if it's at home, then that, that's a big deal, which, you know, the Cyhawk always is. Then you get game three or four and it's like, Oh yeah, that's that Sun Belt team or that FCS team, <laughs> and if it's not Northern Iowa, which actually has a little bit of interest, it's just like <laughs> you know that's yeah. when seven thousand fans decide, eh, I'm not going to go. I, I'm going to give my tickets away, and nobody's going to take them. So uh, that's <laughs> happens from time to time. But uh, what do you when you look at this matchup? I'm sure you've analyzed it pretty closely mm-hmm. thus far. Um, what do you see? I mean, Auburn has just crushed two teams. I mean, what, yeah. Akron and, um, you know. They're getting one. ready for Bishop Sycamore. That's yeah, the- Bishop Sycamore. <laughs> it seems yeah. like that's uh, that's next. Uh, uh, so uh, have you learned anything? Is this, I mean, they, it I, was, I saw. It's kind of, and Justin Ferguson, I got into this, and he brought up the point, which I thought was really interesting. He's like, you know, the more we talk about these two teams, they seem very similar. And that with Penn State, you don't know what you're going to get with Sean Clifford. And so far this season, he's managed games. And most importantly, he hasn't turned the ball over. Mm-hmm. Auburn, it's like, are you going to get good Bo Nicks, bad Bo Nicks? Like, what do you, you know, what are you going to get there? Um, both teams, their offensive lines are kind of the part that you're trying to get it figured out. Penn State was able to get their ground game going last week. The offense looked 10 times better than it did in the first half against Wisconsin. And I mean, how's this for a stat, Scott? Penn State had more yards and more first downs during their opening drive against Ball State than they did the entire first half against Wisconsin. I mean, it was it was pretty ugly that first half in Madison. But again, like I saw from what I saw of Penn State's offense last week, it certainly felt like a huge step in the right direction. They were using all different kinds of personnel. But I don't know. I feel like what always comes down to when you think about these teams, it's the, oh, the SEC speed and the Big Ten. Well, look at where Penn State's recruiting from. I mean, you've got a running back 
in Noah Kane, who is at IMG Academy, who's originally from Louisiana. <laughs> you know, like right. this isn't how fans, I think, kind of traditionally think of it. Um, so, I, I mean, it's both of these teams should match up pretty well. But Penn State has surprised me, and the defense has been kind of, for me, the, the biggest pleasant surprise. Uh, they already have four interceptions this year, which is the same number that Penn State had through nine games last year. Wow. Um, so, you know, I think that's kind of the thing. If if Bo Nix gives them opportunities for takeaways, this defense has shown that they're going to capitalize. And that wasn't the case with Penn State last year. So, Again, I mean, how do you come out? Can can Penn State run the ball? I mean, that to me is the other going to be the big thing here. And eh, Auburn, that defensive line, um, they're going to be active. Penn State, kind of the weak link up front has been left guard. They think they have it solidified now with Harvard grad transfer Eric Wilson. But we'll see, Scott, because you never know what's going to happen once the crowd gets amped up and the lights come on and all that fun stuff. Yeah, for sure. And and that's a good point about uh, Clifford just being a game manager. The first mm-hmm. game, you, you know, your first game was a lot like the second game I saw probably, but but teams feel each other out. They just kind okay. of need to, you know, whether it's defense or we need to run this play just to see what the reaction is, if nothing else, even if it doesn't gain anything. And and, uh, and, and Wisconsin's a good team. I mean, Wisconsin made a lot of mistakes. And um, I think that that was the type of game where if they played 10 times, it was probably a 5-5 split, um, mm-hmm. just what I saw. But um, they had enough turnovers and a lot of, you know, right in, you know, I mean, it was Graham Mertz. The game was there for Graham Mertz to yeah. win and Graham yeah. Mertz didn't win it. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. I've been on the slow down the Graham Mertz bandwagon because I saw him last year. And when everybody went gaga over his Illinois performance, I went, (laughs) um, I saw almost the same performance out of Spencer Petrus against um, Illinois later in the year. It just wasn't all the eyes in the country wasn't on it. They both had the same number of touchdowns and interceptions. They had them pretty much the same numbers everywhere. So why is Graham Mertz just because he's been hyped? Um, over Petrus and certainly I don't think Spencer Petrus has played that well but you know this year so far yeah. but I would say that he hasn't made the big mistake in, in a couple of big games whereas Graham Mertz has so um, what is am I wrong or did you come away with thinking that Graham Mertz is um, you know on a better trajectory than what I've seen so far no I think you're right Scott I mean, the thing that I guess I can say surprised me, but also not because that's what Wisconsin is. They're going to run the ball. Um, 
But, I mean, they could have taken some shots downfield in that game. It was just like they wanted to run the ball a million times because that's what they always do. And then, oh, hey, like we get in the red zone and we just mess it up. I mean, it was really – it was ugly for them. And you kind of look at it and you say, okay, you've got a really good defense, but this isn't a very exciting modern offense that it just doesn't go with it. And, I mean, they ran 95 plays against Penn State. Scored 10 I mean, points. that's, yeah, I mean, like, that's just mind bending. Um, but it's just the efficiency isn't there. And I think that's kind of probably um, <laughs> Penn State safety Jaquan Brisker said a couple of days after the game that it was kind of like playing Madden, that, you know, the Badgers just kept going back to the same plays over and over. And I know some, some Wisconsin fans were kind of like, yeah, this is what we've been saying about Paul Christ. They, they were mm-hmm. up at arms about it. Um, but I do think that's also a lot of offenses. If you find something that works, you're going to keep going back to it. But that was what led to the interception at the end of the game with Mertz. They ran that play earlier. Penn State safety, Jaquan Brisker knew what was coming. Um, and so they were able to, to make a really big play on it. But yeah, I just, I don't know, Scott, I feel like the way the Big Ten's shaking out, um, Ohio State is showing that they're human. Right. Like that, that's kind of my takeaway about the Buckeyes after two weeks is that the whole, you know, hey, they're going to run away from the pack deal. The door's open for somebody else in the East. Is Penn State that team? I don't know. Maybe. I mean, I, I, you'd feel certainly better about Penn State's chances playing Ohio State now than I would have even two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. I mean, that, that makes the league more interesting when it's not oh, just absolutely. Yeah. Ohio State and, and four dwarfs and everybody <laughs> else are a bunch of little animals in the forest. I mean, <laughs> that's what yeah. we've run into, you know, for several years now that it's because yeah, the East-West divide is pretty even if you take Ohio mm-hmm. State out of it. I mean, Penn State comes and they play, you know, and granted they've had a lot of success against Wisconsin, but, you know, it's, they've had good games with Iowa, with Minnesota, with other types of teams. And then uh, you look at the way Iowa has played. They played two ranked opponents, dominated both defensively. Mm-hmm. They have a unit that is as good or better than they've than that's been in this part of the country, including Wisconsin for a few years now. So uh, they're going to be a tough out for anybody. They got, but they have some issues on offense. They got to, they got to realize and rectify. And, and, you know, Wisconsin's interesting because over the years, they've, they've been really good when they've had an elite running back. Jonathan Taylor is an elite running back over, you know, over the the three years that he was there or before him, you know, Melvin Melvin Gordon, Gordon, Monte ball. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, James white. And, and it's kind of funny when, you know, it's, it's easy for me to compare Iowa, Wisconsin, because they are kind of blood brothers. They just wear different colors um, in so many (laughs) different ways. I mean, they're only two and a half hours apart and, and everything. And, the, the really the separation is who has the better running back over the years. And it really only once in the last 20 years, the team that has outrushed uh, the, uh, the other has, has lost. So it's real. And then when you look, well, Jonathan Taylor versus whatever Iowa throws out there, well, there's a reason why it's, you know, uh, a six point win for the Badgers every year. Yeah. So I, I think they're, still a contender, certainly in the West. I wouldn't write them off or anything like that, but I really liked seeing what I did out of Penn state because last year after that start, they were, you just, you're <laughs> wondering what does Penn state have? They just look so out of sorts and, 
and down. And now they look like, okay, they're, I mean, they're a top 10 team now. They're the legitimate contender in the East. And if they get out of the East, then they're a legitimate contender to win it all in the Big Ten and go to the playoff. And I think, Scott, it sets us up. We were talking about this before we started recording. I mean, Penn State plays Villanova next week. Uh, then Indiana comes to town, which, you know, isn't what we were all kind of expecting here. And I know, like, obviously Penn State fans, after the way the season opened last year, the Michael Penix play, yeah. um, they're going to be amped for that game. But then after that, Scott, Penn State goes out to Kinnick Stadium. I mean, right now you're looking – I mean, that would be – that would be the game if that was happening this week. And I, I mean, we, I, th- I feel like both of us expected that was going to be a big game, an important game, but now it might be even bigger than we thought. Right. I mean, it, yeah. it just seems like we're, we're going to be destined for a big time, big time showdown the way this thing looks like it's going to shake out, you know, based on what Ohio state did and didn't do last week. I mean, I still think, Hey, Mm -hmm. you almost always have to skew to them being the favorite. And are they going to fix enough things on defense? They certainly have the firepower on offense and they got a young quarterback. They'll make things work. Uh, But that said, I mean, it really, it's the battle of who's the, who's the primary contender with Ohio state, you know, if that's Penn state in the East or Iowa in the West and it's at Kinnick and hopefully it's at night. I think that would be in everybody's interest mm-hmm. except for newspaper writers, um, <laughs> uh, you know, but seriously, I, I think it's uh, that game is going to carry a lot of weight nationally too, because Iowa's now number five and Penn state's number 10. If, 10. if uh, Iowa, Iowa plays Kent state this week, which I would expect, I would expect Iowa to win convincingly. Um, mm-hmm. Kent State's got a, they they run at a high tempo, and uh, so I think they're they've got some potential to to do some things against Iowa, but not a lot. Uh, next week, Colorado State comes to Kinnick. That's going to be a bloodbath. And then the, the <laughs> intriguing one for Iowa to me is is they go to Maryland on a Friday night on uh, the week before yeah. Penn State, and. I, again, I think right now I was clearly the better team, but Penn state's got athletes and, and Iowa plays a style that uh, should mitigate that, but you never know. I mean, you get in a night crowd, if Iowa's still in the top five and, and uh, you know, that, that's, you're going to get a crowd that's going to be energized, you know, Hey, we got a really good team coming in here and you got, you know, Tonga Viola and you got Raheem Jarrett yeah. and you got guys that can do You've things. got players. Yeah. You know, and really good athletes. And, and so in my eyes, that could go one of two ways. One, hey, they're going to really stretch your defense and make big, a couple of big plays and make it tough for you. Or I was just going to squash them like a bug and then it's going to be turnover city and, and then it'll be 41 <laughs> to nothing, you know. Yeah. So Penn State got that Maryland experience last year and it did not go well for the Nittany Lions. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, I could see it one of two ways. One, like, well, maybe not like the Penn State one, especially yeah. or like uh, uh, Maryland and Northwestern right off the bat last year. Yeah which was 40 to three or something crazy like that, or probably more like the uh, Maryland Minnesota game that went back and forth. So I was going to say, I've, I've had a Friday, a Friday night game experience at Maryland um, before. And it's just, to me, the whole Friday thing's got, it's just weird. Like I feel like I'm off base the entire week mm-hmm. just because you're, you're messed up by a day. Um, and that was, you know, it was supposed to be like, they tried to make it this big thing. They do. I think it was maybe like a blackout or something like that. They tried to do, um, it's a cool venue, 
but it just, the atmosphere fizzled very quickly. Um, it wasn't the game that they thought they, you know, they thought they'd get, but that's a, that's a long trip for you guys though. That's a pretty, pretty far trick. Yeah, that is. It's, (laughs) it's weird when you're not playing a, I mean, you know, and the league's got to figure out it's, it's, uh, you know, hopefully it does in the next cycle, whatever happens, if there's divisions or not divisions or whatever, but a little yeah. more balanced because uh, like, for instance, Iowa hasn't played at Penn at Ohio state since 2013, you know, and yeah. hasn't played them in general since 2017. In fact, they've only played four times since 2006, but yet, you know, mm, this is the nice, my second trip to Maryland since then, and this will be the fourth time they played Maryland um, since they joined the league. And, and I, I, I mean, I, I think it's fine. I don't have a problem. You know, flight's a flight and whether it's the state college yeah. or it's to Washington DC or whatever, but uh, you know, I, I think that's going to be a fascinating look one, one way or the other. Uh, and then, as you said, you know, we got Penn state, Iowa and, and Iowa's played two ranked opponents. The only team in the country to beat two ranked opponents. Uh, they were underranked against both of them. I mean, uh, Indiana was 17, Iowa was 18 mm-hmm. at the time, and Iowa State 9 and Iowa 10. And Iowa just dominated both. Uh, I mean, really, I mean, even the final score of the second game against Iowa State was by 10, and it was really more of a 17-point game. They scored a garbage touchdown mm-hmm. late. And, um, they I was say, Scott, what's, what's been the thing that's impressed you most about Iowa thus far? In the first game, it was certainly the way they shut down um, – Michael Penix mm-hmm. and Ty yeah. Freifogel, two great players, but I knew that they would win that game. And I actually kind of thought I said it and never, nobody really bought into it. But I'm like, this could be decisive in the fact, not that like, 34 to six, but yeah. you know, like a 10 to 12, 14 point game because they're, they were built on the big play. They're built on getting Freifogel down the field. Iowa takes that away. That is the one thing mm-hmm. they do on defense. They have a veteran secondary. They have all five members back from last year. All of them had started at least in the last two years going into this year. So I knew they're, you know, and this is a team that led the country in yards per play allowed last year. So I knew they would be pretty vicious on the back end. But um, the way that they got after him up front was a little bit surprising because they lost some really good players. I mean, Davion Nixon, who Penn State fans, I'm yeah. sure remember, um, you know, was in the NFL. He was the defensive player of the year at All-American. He's gone. Chauncey Golston, same thing. But they were able to rotate a ton of guys and get a lot of pressure, and Penix just looked uncomfortable all game and and of course a pick six right off the bat yeah (laughs) that'll do that to you yeah and then another one and they've had seven turnovers they forced seven turnovers they got 37 points off of them thus far and then wow and and then just the physicality that they play with there's their linebackers are as good at a unit they've ever had there um Mm -hmm. two of them in particular jack campbell who i think is the best linebacker in the country and then Justin Jacobs who forced a fumble for a touch that Campbell recovered for a touchdown last week. So their defense is, is they will, they could be in any game against any opponent with that defense. Their offense has a long way to go. And uh, now granted they played against two really good defenses. Iowa state's the best defense they'll play all year. Um, Indiana has some good players too. Micah McFadden in particular, that great secondary. So that, so in some ways you got to take that and say, well, okay, they played against these teams. They they did score offensive touchdowns. So it's not like they were blown out, but I think in some ways their growth offensively will determine how they, um, if they can beat a Penn state, if they can go to Madison and win. And then, and then if they have to square off against uh, Ohio state and Indianapolis, do they have enough 
point, you know, because can you score? Yeah. Can, can you keep up with that? Yeah. Yeah. Cause they're going to give up points for me with Garrett Wilson and, and those guys, but you know, I, I don't anticipate a, a 55, 24 win like they did the last time. they played last <laughs> game, but, but I certainly think that they would, they would give up quite a few points or at least a couple of touchdowns at a minimum against Ohio state if they played them. And I, I think though, Scott, that Ohio state secondary, our colleague Bill Landis has been taking them to task pretty hard. Yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of the thing with the Buckeyes and, you know, one of the things that's impressed me with Penn State's offense, which which leads me to believe that, hey, we'll see what happens. Penn State, Ohio State, um, Halloween night, actually, I believe. Um, so that'll be a wild trip out there. But, yeah. you know, Penn State's offense has shown that it's going to adjust and it's going to be creative, which aren't two things we said a heck of a lot of around here the last few years. And mm-hmm. I mean, at one point last week, Scott, they had three tight ends on the field at the same time. Um, the opening drive, they used three tight ends. They went two back. Um, I mean, they used three different running backs on the opening drive. I mean, it was really cool to see them kind of be very modernized and exciting and that type of thing. And you just look at that Ohio State secondary and you say, okay, you're going to have to, you know, get into a shootout with these guys. But if you have a good offense in the Big Ten, you might be giving yourself a chance and then maybe, you know, maybe you need a takeaway or two or something to kind of turn the luck a little bit. But I, I do feel like Ohio state has kept that door open for people just a bit. And Hey, it's still early. A lot's going to change and happen. Um, none of these teams are going to look the same in November as they do here in September. Um, but I think at least for the time being, you say, hmm, you know, I, I wonder if Penn state would play Ohio state this week, what it would look like. Yeah. Right. I mean, I'd, I'd obviously still pick Ohio state in that game, but that's the measuring stick. You know, we were talking earlier about the sec and the big 10 and the measuring stick there for Penn state. It's always going to be Ohio state. As you mentioned, Scott, got to get past Wisconsin in the West. I mean, that's just, it is what it is, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, there are teams that in, in different de- decades would have shaped it differently. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, the two thousands, for instance, if it was divisional play, I mean, Ohio State's still in kind of that territory. Penn State was much more even with, with Ohio State when Jim Tressel was there and Ben Paterno was the head coach. Yeah. In the West, it would have been Iowa. I mean, Kirk Ferentz really had a role in, in the 2000s, and then it just kind of flipped over to Wisconsin, uh, you know, because I think they won at one point four or five straight against Wisconsin and like eight out of nine. And, and so then there would have been um, – but, again, just so, sometimes they're just – you know, and especially in this part of the world, there are just slight little changes that really impact those series. And running back was the one that I've really noticed out of the out of that realm. And yeah. and then you look at what you know, Penn State was able to beat Ohio State one sixteen on that yep. block field goal, yep. and and I thought seventeen based on what I saw. They I had them. They had them. You know? That's that's one of those games where I mean, I remember, and I I will throw our colleague Ari Wasserman under the bus on this mm-hmm. because. This is what changed the game, Scott. Covering that, um, obviously, Ari and I, we didn't work together at the same outlet at that point, but he comes up to me at the half and says, hey, Audrey, hope you enjoy the Rose Bowl this year. <laughs> All downhill from there. So that was the the Ari Wasserman uh, kiss of death on that one. But yeah, I mean, and that's kind of the, the other weird thing with, with, you know, you mentioned, obviously, not having to, to go to the horseshoe many times. Mm-hmm. Penn State, you know, it's like you always want to get – get your best swing at Ohio state 
usually that's the whiteout game. Well, last year, Ohio State comes up here. There's no fans. Mm -hmm. So Penn State has to go out there this year. It's going to be wild. And, you know, that's kind of you say, man, that's say Ohio State comes up here this year. And, you know, if it was Mm -hmm. the other way around, who knows? But yeah, that's that's always a fun game. Really fun place. um, Great atmosphere. And now we're also seeing a little bit of an interesting thing play out where Ohio State, because obviously um, their quarterback early early enrolls, reclassifies a year. Quinn Ewers right. gets there early. So now they've got a spot open in 2022, and they're interested in Penn State quarterback commit Drew Aller, who's from Ohio, who sometimes trains actually in the shadows of the horseshoe. Um, Aller is firmly committed to Penn State. I do not see anything changing there. I've talked with people in his inner circle. They believe the same thing. But um, it's kind of interesting because you say, man, it comes down to running backs in this league and good quarterbacks. And that's kind of, you know, they're they're battling it out there. So it never stops, Scott, whether it's on the field, recruiting, Penn State and Ohio State are going to be at each other's throats. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Yeah, and I'd be uh, remiss not to ask you about, um, you know, there's one major opening around the country mm-hmm. that just took place this week. And uh, the, well, the one of the teams <laughs> I covered, their head coach was, uh, has already been mentioned. And of course, the one you cover has been. Tis the season, right? Yeah, we're just already starting. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we just meet, reached the midpoint of September. And now we're talking uh, coach speculation. I mean, what's. I, I can't imagine James Franklin gave it any fuel whatsoever, but what, what was he the did tenor? Not. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it was interesting. I asked him Tuesday at his, you know, weekly news conference We're we're still on zoom. So I you know was unmuted and, and asked, and, you know, he said that he was going to address it with the team's leadership council had a practice Tuesday because he didn't want it to be a distraction. Now at any point, Scott, he did not say no. Yeah. Um, We'll see. I mean, he, he talks Wednesday. Maybe he'll address it again, although I doubt it. But this is, I feel like, one of those things that's going to be out there all season. 
Um, now you can say, does it make sense for him to go? Um, Franklin's buyout this year is 4 million. You look at it. And again, to, in my mind, it always comes back to your best path to get into the playoff. Mm-hmm. And here you have to go through Ohio state. Our colleague, Max Olson ran the numbers, you know, with, with college football playoff expansion. What's the team that would have benefited the most had mm-hmm. the playoff expanded sooner. Penn state comes into that conversation. We mentioned right. 2016, you know, you beat Ohio State head-to-head, you beat Wisconsin in the Big Ten title game, and you still don't get a, a berth in the playoff. So, I, I, you know, I think you have to have kind of some frustration there if you're James Franklin. But you also say, well, okay, Penn State at the moment has the number one recruiting class in the country in 2022. Mm-hmm. You've got some guys coming in, but I don't know. I feel like you might also be able to kind of curb that and say, well, if you couldn't get to the playoff here with Saquon Barkley and Trace McSorley, are you ever going to get there? You could also kind of point to facilities and Franklin has pushed an awful lot for facilities around here. um, And it's happened, but there were some feathers ruffled with Penn state's board of trustees last year when, you know, Penn state again, wanted to continue improving their football facility. And Jay Paterno, who's on the board of trustees said, Hey, you know, does the university serve football or does football serve the university? And it's that, that facility arms race. And so maybe, maybe you say, you know what, maybe James Franklin's frustrated with that. Maybe he doesn't like living here. It's, you know, it's a fishbowl. It's not LA. Um, We don't know these things. This is all speculative, but you have to get the question out there. Now you have to give him a chance to say no. Um, But I feel like this is something we're going to have to keep an eye on the rest of the season. For sure. And you know, yeah, we could say it's just speculation, but that's all we all it is right now. I mean, you know, James Franklin's not going to quit tomorrow and go be USC's right. head coach. <laughs> um, Matt Campbell's not going to quit tomorrow and be USC's head coach. Or, you know, what I'm most fascinated about with this type of scenario is the ripple effect. And, and, and yes. you know, let's say James Franklin decides at the end of the year, you know what, I'm heading to LA. I love LA. I'm, I'm the Lakers in the 80s. And uh, I'm heading out there. I'm, I'm singing that song who takes over at Penn state. Now that's where I think a coach like Matt Campbell would be better suited than because he's a, is a Northeast Ohio guy. He's from, went to Mount uh, union. He's got ties in that state. He recruits so well, and he has the persona that would really work at any, really any big 10 institution. Mm -hmm. And I think particularly a place like, Penn State or Notre Dame or, or, you know, maybe even a Michigan because he, he can handle the fishbowl, but he's just got a real, you know, he's, he's a lot like Ferentz in some ways where, you know, he's, he's strong willed, but he's got a kind of a, a common man work ethic, you know, just, mm-hmm. you know, you respect the guy. He's not going to say too much. He's not going to be beat on his chest and give you, make you go, eh, I'm cr- cringing a little bit here. He, he's really pretty good at that. So he would be the type to me rather than a USC that he would be more of a Penn state. And, uh, and that's where I feel like Franklin has that USC that, mm-hmm. you know, kind of that, that attitude, that demeanor. Mm-hmm. Yes. He's a Pennsylvania guy. Um, but he was at Washington before and his wife is from Washington state. And, yeah. you know, I believe if memory serves correct, that he recruited LA at a couple points as well. So, you know, you kind of, you look at USC and, and the opportunity that's there, you know, again, this is, you, I always go back to it and Penn state mentions it a lot, especially with big recruiting weekends like this, 
you have recruits and commits struggling to find hotels in this town this weekend for this game because the infrastructure just isn't here. Um, You know, you have a tiny regional airport. It's tough to get recruits here. And that was one of the biggest things when you go back to, you know, with college campuses closed and recruiting via Zoom, Penn State staff says it all the time. And it's true. You have to see this place in State College in person to really get it, to understand Mm -hmm. it. Where, you know, you can sell an 18, 19, 20-year-old kid on L.A. and the glitz and the glam and the sunshine and the history. Um, If you're bringing a recruit from the West Coast or even from the South into State College in November, December, you're hoping there's not snow on the ground. Mm -hmm. You're hoping there's not flight delay with multiple connections because that's the only way you're getting here. Um, So it's it's difficult and it's a different place, you know, in, in many regards. But Again, you're going to see 107,000 people wearing white here Saturday night. So it's a big, you know, it's a big thing. But you just kind of wonder, I do feel, at least from a faction of the fan base, you know, that you kind of interact with, you hear from on Twitter, those kinds of things. But Franklin hasn't always been appreciated here. I think people kind of maybe gloss over just how quickly he was able to turn things around. You look at all the New Year's Six Bowl games. Uh, the fact that, hey, this was, he was the guy, this was the staff that got Saquon Barkley here before he was Saquon Barkley. Um, This is the guy who had Trace McSorley committed to him at Vanderbilt and was able to bring Trace and so many of those guys with him to Penn State. So, you know, you you just have to kind of think about all these things because we don't know how this is, is going to play out. But if you're Penn State and you've got this 2022 recruiting class, which is fantastic, this is not the time that you want Clay Helton fired. You know, this is not when you want speculation when Ohio state's visiting your quarterback commit. And, you know, you've got, uh, you've got maybe some uncertainty here, who knows, but yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see because Penn state is certainly clicking right now more so than I thought they would be even, you know, two weeks ago. Yeah, sure. Well, and, and this week will tell us a lot uh, when it comes on the field. I mean, for both teams and, and not, not, it won't tell us the whole story. There's a lot of season left. And, and, but Penn State to this point is, hey, you went to Camp Randall and won. That's a big deal. Yep. It doesn't matter if it's what Wisconsin looked like. It doesn't matter. You won. Uh, I, I think what, what is fascinating, though, is, is as you bring up, I mean, certain schools in the big, in the big 10 have that same type of situation. Iowa's exactly the same way. First thing everybody thinks of, cornfields yeah (laughs) nothing but cornfields and so trying to recruit kids even you know they don't go to the south that much but they do go to florida and sometimes texas but but really even from chicago and detroit you know that's so that's the image okay you know the cornfields then once they get to campus and they get and they see it for themselves and they see the facility and they see the the uh, the city Iowa City and and then they're like oh wow this is so different than what I'm used to and and it's the same way with Happy Valley and, and and you know probably Lincoln is that way too I would imagine that you know it you know you got to see these things for yourself before you can make those evaluations but it's also tough winter uh, you know scheduling and bringing you know Penn State's more of a national brand when it comes to recruiting and so going to Atlanta or going to Miami or, or whatever to bring up those players. And it's like, yeah, I could go to the U and it's yeah. 80 <laughs> degrees every day, or I could come up here and it's snow, you know, three months of the year and then yucky weather for six. And, and you're dealing with spring ball, most likely yeah. indoors. I mean, that's the other, the other part of this where it's like, Oh, Hey, there's snow today in April. Like you're, you're practicing inside today. I mean, now, of course, these teams, Scott, as we know, they spin it as well. If you get to the league, yeah. you're not going to control where you go. You're going to have to play in the cold, the snow, the elements, all that. Um, 
but yeah, it's um, literally tough sledding in the Big Ten sometimes. <laughs> yeah, there's some fun sledding too here. I'm sure there is out in Mount yeah. Nittany going down those uh, the, the, the ski slope. Yeah, yeah. they have they have Oktoberfest coming up at Mount Nittany, I believe, next weekend. So. Oh man. I am so bummed that Oktoberfest at the Atlanta Colonies is the same weekend it's in, that I'm going to be in Maryland. It is, I mean, it's this group of villages that are really German and based. And mm-hmm. the, the, so you bring up Oktoberfest all of a sudden, ding, ding. <laughs> um, We're there. It, it yes. took us this long to get on a beer conversation. Yes, here we are. Beer, here we are. Um, the, the tapping of the keg at Oktoberfest at, at, at Amana is unbelievable. And then you throw on, you know, at first you think it's, oh, it's kind of kitschy, kind of dumb with all the polka dancing and stuff. And then yeah. you have a couple beers in you and then you're like, this is kind of cool. You know, <laughs> I can do roll out the barrel and I'm pros it and, and all that and, and really feel singing along. But you got to go to, to your um, beer Mecca land there yes. in, in, Ma- Madison. in Madison. How much uh, spotted cow did you take back with you? A lot. Um, so, so there was there was a, a a beer bag that I brought back with me, which I do this sometimes on certain trips. Um, just you know, put my clothing in a very small bag, and here's my checked bag with all my beer. Yeah. Um, so I've become kind of a bit of an expert beer packer. Um, but yeah, I believe there were I want to say 36 cans that made it back with me. Some spotted cow, some New Glarus Moonman, Moonman. Um, Jesse Temple told me about Great Dane Brew Pub. So I went there a couple of times. Yes. Um, they had a, the beer that he actually recommended. I really liked the crop circle wheat beer. So I brought six uh-huh. of those home. Um, there's, there's something else that I'm forgetting, but yeah. So I've got a very nice beer selection currently in, in the fridge. Um, but that's, you know, that's, that's big 10 life at its finest, Scott, right? Like it that's, is. I mean, and you, I say you've been on the kind of the beer exchange circuit, right? Yeah. Max Olson and I, we exchanged some beers uh, last week. We were in Ames. He brought some from Lincoln and I'd have to, oh my gosh, I, I can't remember exactly what all they are. I, he got me an Oktoberfest blend and I was like, yes. And um, yeah. and there was a couple other uh, styles. And then I brought him a uh, from Big Grove, which is really expanded into being one of the biggest uh, air, uh, breweries here in, in Iowa and okay. they have a, an IPA called Easy Eddie. And then, and then I got them one from Iowa Brewing Company. It's like zombie, some sort of zombie style IPA. So yeah, we, we did an exchange. It was great. And, uh, I would have given it, I told him, I'm like, shoot, I, I should have probably given you some spotted cow because he's never had it before. Oh, but that's uh, because Jesse didn't bring it to our last staff meeting before I know. that world ended. Yeah. It's Jesse's fault for sure. Yeah. It still is. Yeah. No question. I mean, yeah. he was the first person i was thinking of about this whole thing i'm like you're driving there so you should probably yeah. uh um not only are you driving but you're <laughs> you're gonna be uh you know bringing in the best beer in the country and instead what do we got we got uh uh you know he, he did go and get some good indiana beer i will give him that but still it was uh uh you know still pretty rough but hey the wrestling schedule just came out oh boy so let's uh we you know oh gosh help us yeah, exactly. I mean, Penn State and Iowa, I mean, are they going to wrestle this year? They need to. I don't see them on there. So that would be dumb as all get out if they don't wrestle head to head. Right. Um, but um, no, I, I'm, I'm excited. I did give I did have uh, two two more 12 packs of spotted cow. And I gave six of them to my son because he got a temp job in Minneapolis. So I was excited for him. My wife went up there and he, he took a six pack and 
Nice. Yeah, so that was that was a good thing. And uh so uh yeah, no, we're getting into Oktoberfest season, which is good for me. I you know, it. I will say I had a um Jesse told me to go to Cafe Hollander in in outside of Madison, wherever I was. Um, that was really cool. And then Great Dane Brew Pub had an Oktoberfest that I really liked there too. Okay. I uh, I overlooked it. Friday, January 28th, Penn State at Iowa. I don't know, Scott. That sounds like uh, you're going to need a parka and some boots. <laughs> and it's going to be, yeah, that's, uh, we both cover programs that these people, these fans love their wrestling. Um, I mean, it's kind of, you know, obviously in my neighborhood, everybody's there in the Penn State, everything, Penn State football, especially. But yeah. one of my neighbors has Penn State wrestling season tickets and loves it. And, is, you know, he goes to every match and he's always asking me about wrestling and what's going on. So I'm going to have to tell him now about the about the duel. Yeah. I'm surprised he's not ringing my doorbell right now about this. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's a different kind of passion here for that. <laughs> and I know I know Penn, Penn State's right up there too. Uh, it's a um, it's a niche sport. It's still not as popular as basketball here as a whole, but it is the the fan base is more passionate, and their expectations are you either win the national title or you're not any good. And uh, with Penn State's dynasty under Kale Sanderson, it has really been difficult for the people here. So get, you know, and then of course, two years ago with the pandemic shutting it down, they would have won that one going away. And so that really bugged them. And then this year they did win it, but two out of the three finals matches went to the Nittany Lions. So that was really, um, this is as good of a rivalry in college sports as Penn State Iowa wrestling as you'll get, and that match will be sold out the second the tickets are still on sale here. It will. Be have you nuts. ever covered? Um, have you ever covered like the NCAA championships wrestling, Scott? Have you done that? Because I did it once, and it was pretty wild. I never did because it was one of the most hotly contested beats <laughs> I've ever. I've yeah, been. That, that makes sense. I yeah. did. I did. You basketball. have a full time writer for that. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I, I did basketball, but. No, it, it's, uh, you know, everybody, I mean, we've had like three, we'd send like three writers sometimes to yeah. uh, NCAAs and because it's, you know, whether it's Iowa or Iowa State, it's always been a big deal. But I've been to several duels and um, Penn State, Iowa, two years ago here reached, uh, I, I had a, a monitor on like decibel reading and it was like <laughs> jet engine loud. I mean, it was like 109 um, wow. when, when there was the, the, one of the matches, I think it was Kemmerer and, uh, hall maybe um but you know when there's a late takedown and it went i mean you think it blown the roof off carver hawkeye arena so i i would anticipate this will be one versus two for sure neither one will even be touched and uh this duo will be it'll be great i i told one of the somebody at the big 10 i said you know it'd be really great is you guys should schedule that duel for alcatraz you know make it like steel cage match in the old place that would be fun so I did it at a Madison Square Garden one year. I yeah. covered it. And, and that was really cool because it was actually my, well, I'd been to the garden before for when Penn State, my freshman year when they won the NIT, uh-huh. uh, I went I went to that game just to check it out. Um, but then this, I was, I was going back and I was covering it. And the thing that kind of surprised me, because, you know, we're used to, and this might be a little bit kind of inside baseball for, for some listeners, but, you know, we're used to kind of being kept at a distance at these events, you know, mm-hmm. it's you're in the press box, maybe you get field access for the final five minutes. You can't just go up and talk to people. Like it's just not how our, how college football beats work in general. So I'm at NCAA wrestling and I had a seat, you know, there's the catwalk up, up at Madison square garden. I'm sitting up there. It's really cool. There's like 
all these mats going on at once. My head's spinning. I have to talk to some pit wrestlers and we're also covering West Virginia. So some of that. So I'm trying to figure out what in the world I'm doing. And then it's like, you know, you get to the finals that the next night and I'm just like hanging out very close to the mat while these guys are warming up. And the thing that sticks out is I remember watching Bo Nickel before he went out to wrestle. He's just sitting there in front of a TV watching one of his teammates compete. I believe it was probably Rutherford at that point, mm-hmm. just watching him compete and like cheering, celebrating, like a very normal interaction. And I'm like, if this was football, I would be nowhere near this kid. And like Penn State Athletic Director Sandy Barber standing there, Kale Sanderson's there. Like it was just a different vibe, but mm-hmm. the fans were absolutely crazy. So Yes, Scott. Wrestling season will be will be the next big thing around here, without a doubt. And uh, yeah, it's it's usually when you get into the national tournament, there are two teams: Team Iowa and Team Hate Iowa. I mean, because they are <laughs> that's just the way they they have an incredible. You know, when they're in St. Louis and stuff, it's yeah. you know you you know they're the Yankees of, of college wrestling. So you either love them or hate them. And and the first duel of the season, Minnesota with Gable Stevenson. Against Ooh. Iowa at Iowa, you know, with Spencer Lee, the two Hodge That's Trophy, gonna... you know, gold medalist, future WWE superstar, and Gable Stevenson, who's incredible. I was going to say, he's been fun to watch. And then a lot of fun to watch. Spencer Lee has been equally fun to watch, whether he has an ACL or not. Pennsylvania's finest <laughs> there. So. I was going to say, yeah, Pennsylvania export for you. Yeah, exactly. Well, this has been fun, Audrey. I'm glad we got a chance to talk football Absolutely. and a little wrestling while we're at it because. Uh, Lord knows Have our two fan it. bases can't get enough of that. And, uh, and, uh, and for all of you guys listening out there, all you legends and listeners, uh, thanks so much for, for downloading this podcast. Give us five stars if you can, just like Ari Wasserman's favorite prospects that Iowa rarely gets. So for Audrey Snyder, this is Scott Docterman. Thanks again for listening. Mm-hmm.